Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Terry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. This is our last topic within the series of how do I do that? It is a little bit lengthy. So what I want to do is split it into two different episodes, part one and part two, like I've done before. However, it needs to end today on a cliffhanger. (laughs) Some of you are not going to like that. So what I'm going to do is prepare you in advance and say that you will go ahead and be able to see the second part not long after the first part is released. So you don't have to wait a whole week to get the second part, and it'll be sort of like a bonus episode. So that's going to go ahead and come your way. You're not going to have to be left at a cliffhanger very long. I just didn't want you to be burdened with a super long episode because not everybody has that kind of time. Today, I want to go ahead and get started. This last topic in the How Do I Do That series is... How do I start again? And it reminded me of when you go to the spa for a pedicure. I don't get to go very often. My man doesn't really like me to do that. He has sort of a thing about those machines and all the germs. So I don't go very much. But at first glance, here's what happens when I do get to go. You settle in. You turn on the chair and you order the soda or the water. And you roll up your pants and you let the soaking begin in this sort of peace comes over you and you turn the chair on and you start relaxing in the massage chair and you sort of fade off into your relaxing thoughts with a magazine or a good book you haven't had time to read and it is so wonderful. Learning how to read the Bible, pray, becoming a good steward, how to worship God, all those aspects of the daily Christian life can seem kind of wonderful at first thought, right? But then, just when you and I have settled in to our good book and sipping our water a few times, out come those torture instruments (laughs) with the forceful hands that disrupt the peace. Someone begins to rub off the old polish. They dig around your nails, and I mean dig. They file down your rough heels. They clip your overgrown talons, and sometimes it hurts quite a bit. And it's not relaxing. It's not relaxing at all. In fact, sometimes... We are all too ready for it to end, and we are sorry we ever thought we wanted to come. But deep inside, we know that all the roughness, all the torture is necessary because we need this renewal. It's just part of the process, and we understand that. And I feel like that's sort of where you and I have been in these past weeks in this series. It's just part of that renewal process of finding out how we do these things that we know we need to do. Or maybe like we've decided to clean out a closet which turned into more than like half the house and now it's just stuff jumbled everywhere and it seems worse than when you and I started. (laughs) Sometimes it's messy, even painful work, but necessary to prepare us to be renewed, to start again. And that's kind of what I'm talking about other times. Maybe we found ourselves in the midst of pain or difficulty, which has turned our lives completely upside down. I stood in the parking lot with a precious friend this week who has done at least part of the series. And she said to me, Cherry, I'm so glad that I was in this place because 
of what I've been through in the last weeks. My whole world has been turned upside down and she is going through a terrible tragedy that was not on the calendar, by the way. She's getting through each day by counting it from the tragedy. And I ask her, what do you need to get to a healthy place so that you can start living again? And honestly, she said, I don't know. Some of us just need our sense of purpose to return. Maybe we've shoved some God-ordained aspect of life on the shelf or purpose, and it's time to pull it down. It's possible this series has brought you restoration, but what do you do next? How do you and I begin again when we've sort of veered off track or taken a detour along the way or pulled everything off the shelf and it's just a mess right now or simply find ourselves in a place of uncertainty? In a simple sense, it's time to pick our color out. (laughs) The difficult work has been done for a lot of us if we've been walking through the series. The Lord has been about restoration in your life. It's time to let those hot towels envelop our legs and be slathered in the therapeutic lotions so we can again walk out the door. There's a process to it. We need to learn how to do it. God has not left us without resource, nor does he. So today I'm going to set it up and I want to look at three examples that demonstrate God's history and character for moving his people to start again. The three examples I want to look at are Elijah, Jacob, and the exiles returning to Jerusalem to rebuild after they've been in Babylon. So we're going to talk about their callings first. Each of these had a specific calling a particular aspect of their lives or their life mission as a whole in which God had spoken direction or promise over. Let's take Elijah first. Elijah, we learn about in 1 Kings 17, he just appears and we find in the first verse, now Elijah the Tishbite, uh, Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. We know he was a Tishbite and that he was a prophet. He was sent based on the recorded works to the kings of Israel to speak for God, to call the people back to the worship of God exclusively, and to instruct the king to lead the people as God designed. That's what we know about him. That's all I want to say about Elijah, because that is his calling. Jacob, on the other hand, was one of the twins of Isaac and Rebekah. Remember, he deceived his father and stole the blessing and birthright of his firstborn twin brother, but had to escape because Esau wanted to kill him. So he left home and headed for Rebekah's homeland. And we see God speak to him about his calling in Genesis 28, verses 11 through 15. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Even though this is seemingly a mess of Jacob's own making, lots and lots of unnecessary drama, this is what God does. I find it amazing. He's just swindled the blessing out of his brother and lied to his father's face. I'm not saying this was a beaver cleaver of families and the dad was doing such a great job showing favoritism over the other son and everything. Just that there was some junk displayed by our pillar, Jacob, and this is how God treats him. I think that's amazing. So that's the calling on Jacob's life. Now, the exiles. Jerusalem, at this period of time, fell to the Babylonians in the year 586 B.C. under Nebuchadnezzar. God warned his people again and again that if they did not repent and turn from serving other gods, he was going to destroy the temple, overthrow Jerusalem, and send them into captivity. He foretold that this was going to happen. How and who was going to do it? As it was happening, he told Jeremiah how long it would be before they were back worshiping in the house of the Lord. We find this information in Jeremiah 25. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. This is Jeremiah's words. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. And that's verses 3 through 5. And then 8 9 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my word, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants, and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and all these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then this first verse we aren't as familiar with, but the second one we are. This is Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So in 536 BC, this is what happens. In Ezra chapter 1, 1 through 7, this is what we find in scripture. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So they rose up the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus gives them permission to go back, take all the stuff with them, and rebuild the temple. This is their calling to head back to Jerusalem, a free 
people no longer captives, but with a job to do. Rebuild the temple at the command of the Persian king. By the way, there's all the money with the supplies and everything we took to do it alongside of it. So 42,000 plus people left to do just that. The next commonality we see in these examples is what I'm gonna call the complaint. (laughs) Everything's not gonna come up roses on the path of seeing those callings fulfilled or the path of obedience. The overall theme I would say is my reality is not lining up with my theology. (laughs) My current situation is not the word I believed you had spoken over my life, Lord. Something is terribly wrong here. God, you said X and X is not happening. All sorts of problems and difficulties are rearing their ugly heads. I think you and I can relate with that. I think that actually happens today, if I'm not mistaken. So let's take Elijah. Elijah, we find in this emotional place, right after his great defeat of the 400 Baal worshipers, where Jezebel thereafter threatens his life. He's just had this wonderful defeat, this wonderful display of God's power, and then Jezebel threatens him. And here is what we have. 1 Kings 19, 1, we find, Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now God provides food and water enough to sustain Staying him to journey 40 days to what scholars believe is the same mountain that Moses met with God upon. And when he gets there, the Lord speaks to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Which I just think is so sweet. And here comes the complaint. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So that's Elijah's complaint. It's a pretty big complaint, if I might say so myself, but that's his complaint. Now we have Jacob. Jacob has a situation that is pretty dire. Genesis 32 is where we find it. He has been living in Haran for a long time, enough to gather his first wife, which was given to him in a misleading way by the father, and gets Leah, and then he gets Rachel. Then he works for her for all those years for the father. Now the Lord has told him to get up and leave, and he is on his way back to his homeland. He is about to encounter the brother that was very, very upset with him, ready to kill him. So the situation is dire. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 32. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So it's a pretty serious situation. Here, then Jacob does a good thing. So that's verses three through eight. And then right after that, nine through 12, Jacob goes to the Lord. And this is a very good thing that he does. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, 
and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Three things we take from his complaint. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Save me, I pray, but you have said. So he does some good stuff in there, but that is his complaint. Now we come to the exiles. We go to Ezra again, but we skip over to chapter four because they've been told to go back. So they go back, they arrive there, They begin to do the work. And this is verses 4 and 5. Then the Samaritans, the people of the land, continually weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled and terrified them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose and plans all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, the second king of Persia. Then there comes a letter that slanders them and accuses them of insurrection. So down comes a new proclamation, and this is verse 24. Then the work on the house of God in Jerusalem stopped. These three situations scream. There's too much against me. But you and I must know how God moves in these situations. We must keep in mind the history of what he has done in the past that will give us insight into his character that can provide courage, the strength, the endurance that we need in our own present situations that bellow the same cry. For as difficult as they are, and as much as we don't like it, dire conditions like these do not change our callings. What we're about to witness after this cliffhanger is a collision where the calling and the complaint collide. I'm going to leave it there right now because we're out of time, but that's what we're going to go to next, a place where the calling and the complaint collide because dire conditions do not change our callings and your God is faithful. So come back quickly so that we can finish up this series in How Do I Start Again? Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing your resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com, where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.